case. Molly will be staying on it, and I uh, hope you'll come back. Thank you. That does it for us tonight. Thanks for watching. Banfield starts now. Welcome to the program. It is Monday. I hope you had a great weekend and that you're well rested because you're going to need the rest for this show. Uh, three manhunts. I don't even know where to begin. Okay, I'll begin with the newest one. How about this? In Nashville, a police chief is on the lookout for his own son. The allegations that his son, that guy, shot two police officers. Yeah, that happened. This is what's going on right now in Nashville. So there is this massive bolo. Be on the lookout for that guy. It's just kind of bizarre because we were already following this story with the the blue Dodge Charger in Georgia and the manhunt with four. And then this guy comes out and it's a police chief's son. Nashville's police chief. And the shooting happened just southeast of Nashville in a small town. The officers there, thank God, are alive. But that guy is on the run, and he is the son of the police chief in Nashville. You will not believe what the chief is saying. My heart, as a parent, is broken, wide open, thinking about this police chief and what he's saying about his own son and what he's saying he wants to happen to his own son. And then that that Georgia business. We we were already talking about a manhunt in Georgia, and then we added a manhunt in Maryland. So that car you know from Friday, was the car that was suspected to be in the parking lot of the prison or the jail where the inmates, four of them, escaped. Some driver was seen cutting through the fence, dropping off a book bag. They got the car. But that's not the only car that police were able to haul in in the last few days. There was a fancy Mercedes that they also found. That Mercedes is the car allegedly being driven by the guy they believe shot a judge in Maryland. So three manhunts. Three of them, one in Nashville area, one in Georgia, and then this one in Maryland. So uh, the sheriff in this manhunt is going to talk to us live on the program in just a moment. He's going to tell us what they got out of the Mercedes. That guy allegedly shot the judge who'd heard his divorce case earlier in the day and took custody away from him. That's what the police say. So where was the car? And how do they know he was definitely trying to hide it? Very good reason. You'll hear from the uh, sheriff himself. And then it is not every day that I can say a man is being charged with 83 counts of attempted murder. But a man is being charged with 83 counts of attempted murder. And the circumstances are one of the more bizarre crimes I think I've heard described. You know when you get on a plane and you look to the left because it's your only chance to see the cockpit? Because you know that door is going to be bolted and you will not see it again until you're getting off the plane with the bye-byes. One of the men who actually was in that cockpit is the man that is being charged with 83 counts of attempted murder. Because the police say that guy tried to bring the plane down or at least tried to shut the engines off mid-flight from the jump seat. Not one of the pilots flying the plane He was catching a lift. He is a pilot himself. I have the whole story for you, what his neighbors say about him, because that's a story that will blow your lid. How the neighbors describe him, I know you're expecting to say he was wild and crazy and unpredictable. Nope. Whole different story. That's coming tonight. And then uh, 
So again, the mom in me is going to uh, go ballistic um, because what kind of a household puts a loaded gun on the sofa right down where toddlers' faces can be? What kind of household puts a loaded handgun on the sofa with a toddler in diapers running around the room and a couple of other kids too? What do you suppose might have happened when that toddler in diapers decided to go over and investigate. Take a look. Yeah, the grown-up is watching football on that laptop, not watching the toddler, not watching the gun sitting there loaded with no safety on. And if you're going bananas right now, I haven't even told you what might be the worst part of this. What the adults did and did not do. You're going to hear the 911 call, but it wasn't made from that house. That's all coming in a moment. Three active manhunts. Let's start in Tennessee, shall we? Uh, Maybe the apple does fall really, really far from the tree. Because the chief of the Nashville, Tennessee Police Department... I don't even know what's happening in his household right now, the conversations that he's having with his family, because the man on the right, you can see how his face is telling a million different things, right? Man on the left is his son, wanted for shooting two police officers just southeast of Nashville. Two. The story is that there was a a stolen car investigation outside of a Dollar General, right? So naturally, I watch cop shows, you watch cop shows, OP Live, I mean... The investigating officers come up and start asking questions, and the police say that's when that man allegedly pulled out a handgun and shot them both. Their names are Gregory Kern, Officer Gregory Kern, and Officer Ashley Bolijak. They were both shot. They are okay, thank God. They did go to the hospital, but this is them in better days before they were shot while they were doing their jobs, allegedly by the son of a police chief who is now on the run and it's a manhunt. This is how the police uh, talked about this incident. Take a look. During that investigation, they had contact with a subject. Uh, They struggled with that subject. And during that struggle, the suspect produced a handgun and fired shots. John Drake Jr. That's his name. And as if this couldn't be more tragic, guess what his dad's name is? Chief John Drake. Drake. He loved that kid so much he named him after himself. Chief John Drake named his boy John Drake Jr. And now he is saying things that if you're a parent, even if you're not, if you have a parent, if you've ever had a parent, I think that covers all of us, it will break your heart because the police chief is having to say out loud, I I, I can't help him. He needs to be caught. We've done everything we can. How many of you have gone through this where you've done everything you can and it still doesn't work? And I dare say it's probably not to this level because I dare say your son is not on the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations most wanted tonight. But this is what this police chief is dealing with tonight. His son is on the TBI most wanted. There's a manhunt for him. You know how manhunts usually end. And that police chief knows too. This is what he said. 
He now needs to be found and held accountable for his actions today. I hope that anyone who sees him or has information about him will contact law enforcement immediately. Imagine saying that about your own kid. Imagine having to issue shelter in place for the citizens in that area. Statewide blue alert. Just so you know, when the police chief says that they have grown estranged, uh, they have really grown estranged. And there's a really good reason because John Drake Jr., the one on the left there, his criminal record, I, I, I thought it was a misprint. 60 different criminal charges. 60, 60. Convicted of at least 20 crimes. Convicted of at least 20. And to top it all off, he's a registered sex offender. There's a $2,500 reward right now. Uh, I don't know, that, that could certainly go higher. We're going to continue to follow that manhunt, but we got a couple more as well. Uh, the one that is in Georgia, you know the four escaped inmates? They're going on weeks. They're still out there. The guys that chiseled their way out of the jail, we all thought, dude's not too smart, right? They're going to get caught. Nope. Guy on the upper left-hand quadrant, that guy, accused murderer. Today, something really bizarre happened, and it involved gunfire, and it is connected to these four. No, don't get your hopes up. They didn't find the four, but they found another guy. And they think he's connected to the four. And on a tip, they went to that guy's apartment. And you know what happens? Again, you watch the police shows. Boom, boom, boom. Open up. It's the police, right? Uh, this time, though, they were met with gunfire. U.S. Marshals at this apartment complex were met with gunfire coming through the door. Guy didn't even open the door. He just shot right through the door at them. Thank God they're okay. Cops are okay. But they obviously backed off, right? Thank God they were okay enough to back off. We're not telling that awful story tonight. But SWAT came in. And when SWAT came in, everything changed. Um, They were able to get in and they found that man injured inside the apartment from a self-inflicted gunshot. Again, the plot is crazy here. It's not one of the four escapees, but it's connected, they say. This is what uh, Sheriff David Davis said in terms of the... Connection, not connection, but that guy's not free and clear from connection. Have a listen. But he is a person that we feel uh, has knowledge of where they might be, that has knowledge of the escape, and who has some connection to uh, at least uh, uh, one or two of the people who we're looking for. Okay, so there you have it. They're getting a little closer. The sniffer is getting sniffy couple of connections there. It's uh, 23-year-old Christian Williams. He's in critical condition. Big criminal history there, too. We're going to keep you posted on that, too. But like I said, I'm not done with manhunts yet. I want to go to Maryland now. This one was a real shocker. Uh, Judge Andrew Wilkerson shot dead in his driveway after presiding over a divorce case in which he took custody away from a man. Not that picture. It's the other picture of the guy with the glasses driving a Mercedes. Uh, That case, that one, Pedro Orgote. Can we drop those four pictures down? Let me drop those pictures down. You can come up to me full if you like. There you go. That's the right guy. That's Pedro Orgate. This is the man that police say gunned the judge down in cold blood with his wife and kids still in the house. Gunned the judge down in his driveway and then took off in his very fancy 2009 Mercedes SUV. We have a picture of what the Mercedes looked like. And that's important because it turns out that police say Pedro Orgote tried to hide that Mercedes. That nice-looking Mercedes SUV right there, 
Well, they found one just like it, stuffed in the woods, real deep, deep in the woods, not easy to see, accidentally happened upon. That's what happened to the 2009 Mercedes SUV. They believed Pedro Argote drove away from the murder scene where the judge was killed, the judge who took custody away from him. By the way, not just custody, visitation too. Maybe in retrospect, as we look at what this guy is accused of doing, that judge was absolutely brilliant and knew exactly what he was doing when he said, you're too dangerous to see your own kids. Police say he is desperate and, quote, full of rage, their words. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. We've got another reward. It's $10,000, but again, I say that's likely to go up. There's $73,000 out there for those four guys in Georgia. I want to bring in uh, Sheriff Brian Albert right now, Washington County, Maryland. He's leading the effort to capture um, Mr. Argote. Uh, critical manhunt at this point. Also joining me, Robert Almonte. He is a former U.S. Marshal, former Deputy Chief of the El Paso Police Department. To the both of you, welcome to the program. Sheriff, I've, if I can begin with you, just the, the very latest on the search um, for Mr. Argote and, uh, and how that car plays into it. What can you tell us? Okay, uh, we located the vehicle on uh, Saturday. It was uh, found by a, a, a land, local landowner where it was uh, in the woods. And, uh, you know, it, it's led us, uh, given us some more clues, and, and we're just adding to our case so we can, uh, you know, we can bring him to justice. Uh, Those are the words know. I always look for, Sheriff. That's exactly what I look for when you say those, the car brought you more clues because forensics can be everything and can be a lead better than any caller. What'd you find in the car? Uh, we're, we're still coming through evidence there and downloading. A lot of this uh, that we're looking through is uh, digital and forensic, a footprint. The U.S. Marshals uh, apprehension team here locally in the capital area region of uh, Washington, D.C. is on it. And uh, those guys are relentless, as your other guests can tell you. And uh, we have confidence that we're going to catch the guy. So how long after the murder do you think that Argote allegedly ditched that car deep in the woods to hide it? Uh, with the evidence we found and the rainfall in the area, we're feeling that uh, it was dumped there sometime on the night of the murder. Oh, so it was quick. This was a quick plan. Thursday night, uh, October 19th. Do you think, based on what you've been able to ascertain so far, that this was a well-planned and well-thought-out um, execution? Because it had only transpired the afternoon prior that he had lost custody and visitation rights of his children. Yes, we, we think it was definitely a calculated and planned out attack on the judge. And, uh, you know, we thought possibly there could have been some other victims, but, uh, you know, plans always don't go as, as they're planned. So hopefully, uh, you know, we uh, got out of this with just uh, one lost life. Can you tell me what you mean by other victims? Well, there's possibility that, you know, this gentleman, uh, that Argote was definitely uh, upset with other people, maybe some of the attorneys in the case, uh, some other judges that seen him previously, and and then obviously uh, Judge Wilkinson. Were there lists found? Did you see some evidence listing people's names? Uh, No, we we did not have any lists at this time. What led you to believe there might have been other parties that he was targeting? Well, we're just thinking that he was so... uh, it, it would be speculation or on our part that, uh, you know, he was so enraged that he he could have been capable of killing more. You know, the very first question I would always ask if a judge was targeted, um, 
was the the target of his wrath also going to be directed at his estranged wife or even the children? Because that can happen. Yes, it, it obviously can happen. And, and uh, you know, in more than one case, that has happened. Uh, luckily, that didn't happen at, the, at this time. He did not target the wife uh, that we have any evidence of. So you don't suspect he was perhaps going to target the wife alongside those other parties, attorneys and former judges? We have we have no uh, no evidence showing that he was going to target any other people. It's just uh, speculation on our investigators' parts. Did any of the other parties, former judges and attorneys, say to you that they had been threatened or that they had had some concern? Uh, not prior to the to the shooting and the murder of Judge Wilkinson. Obviously, uh, everyone's in a heightened state right now, uh, and. Anyone that's had dealings with uh, Pedro Argate is is obviously concerned for their safety at some level until we get him in in custody. Sheriff, do you have any leads, anything that's uh, concrete since finding the Mercedes? Yeah, we we have some uh, leads that were going on. Like I say, the U.S. Marshals apprehension team's working those leads, and uh, they'll track him down for sure if if he's out of Maryland or if he's even in Maryland. Uh, Are are you you able to share any of those leads with me tonight? Yeah, not not tonight. No, Ashley. Expected you would say that, and I fully respect that. Um, can I ask you, Mr. Almonte, with your U.S. Marshal experience, uh, Deputy Chief of the El Paso Police Department, tonight I opened this program with three manhunts, and they are so incredibly disparate. I mean, one of them involves uh, four inmates. One of them involves that man of means, Mr. Argade and the Mercedes, and the other involves the son of a police chief with an unbelievable criminal record. I would imagine that in your line of work, that involves three entirely different strategies. But you tell me. Yeah, no, absolutely. There are three completely different uh, escapes or manhunts, I should say. And and they are different. The the case the sheriff is talking about uh, is is really sad. My heart goes out to the uh, family of the uh, of the judge, but I, I agree with the, the sheriff that the United States Marshals involved in this manhunt, I think it's just a matter of time before he is uh, apprehended. And uh, marshals are known for going after the worst of the worst, and definitely uh, this guy fits the bill being worst of the worst, killing a, a, a judge. And then the other, the other one, the uh, chief uh, of police in Nashville, his son. Uh, that shot two police officers. That is also uh, different. My heart goes out to the chief and his family uh, because, you know, it's, you do all you can to raise your, your children to be good citizens. And then at some point they make their own decisions. And this guy with so many uh, arrests and convictions that you mentioned a little earlier, uh, there's no hope for this guy. So uh, at that point, you're now no longer thinking as a father, you're thinking as a chief of police, a law enforcement officer, and you want this guy apprehended so he doesn't hurt uh, anybody else or kill anybody else. And then do those inmates in uh, Georgia, obviously they had some uh, outside help. Uh, but, you know, those people, those four inmates were extremely dangerous. And everything that I've researched into that facility that they escaped, uh, it was outdated. The security was poor. I believe they only had 10 people on duty, correctional officers on duty to handle, I believe, 800 inmates. Uh, that, that's impossible. So 
Uh, there were so many flaws in that in that jail that it, they escaped from. So a lot of contributing factors. Uh, these guys, I think, should never have been in that facility to begin with. Well, I tend to think a lot of these guys are dopes, you know, um, and when they get out, they don't have a master plan. They're they're not. You know, they're, they're not like Ocean's Eleven. Um, and so typically I think it's just a matter of time before they get desperate, hungry and make stupid moves. I'm just astounded that the Georgia Four have been out as long as they have. But if I could ask you, Sheriff, the, the, where you're headed now in terms of looking for Argate, because he may be a little bit more uh, conniving if, if what you say is true and you believe he's, he had planned this. Can you just enlighten me a little more? How long do you think... He planned this day of from the moment he lost custody or for much longer? Uh, I, I think it was a, a little bit longer planned attack. Uh, we're still researching that with uh, records and, and digital and uh, hard drives and computers that we, we've, uh, te- you know, seized in a search warrant uh, of his residence. So, uh, you know, we we think it was a, a calculated attack and, and he planned it. So, uh we we definitely like I say we're on his trail. We uh, the marshals are doing due diligence, and uh, the Maryland State Police are helping us. They all kinds of resources from the Maryland State Police, the Hagerstown City Police Crime Lab, and uh, as you said, the rewards out there ten thousand dollars. We expect that to climb. And if if you'd be so kind to share the the tip line that we have and. It also has a website uh, that I shared. With Your the wish is my command, sir. Anybody with information on Pedro Orgate, there you have it. Uh, please call the Washington County, Maryland Sheriff's Office. Take a photograph of <clears throat> your TV. 240-313-2100. Marshals are offering up to $10,000 on this. That could go up as well. Uh, can't thank you both enough, Sheriff Brian Albert and um, Robert Almonte. Really appreciate your wisdom. T- check back in with us. Let us know what happens. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to the both of you. And coming up next, it it takes a lot to be hit with 83 counts of attempted murder. But that is what a soft-spoken, reportedly friendly pilot in California is facing tonight. What happened in that cockpit yesterday that nearly brought down a plane full of people? And if it was not terrorism, and they don't think it is, what was it? And who the heck is he? All those questions coming at you next. Just one of these counts can get you 25 years in prison. Just one. Attempted murder. But Joseph David Emerson, an Alaska Airlines pilot, looking kind of normal right there in his living room, uh, he's facing 83 of those counts. And if that's not bad enough, he's facing another 83 counts of reckless endangerment. And then for good measure, one count of endangering an aircraft. And the story is bonkers. Mr. Emerson, 44 years old, was apparently um, riding the jump seat, getting a lift by Horizon Air. Now, don't forget, he is Alaska Air. He's a pilot. But he's getting a lift by Horizon. And those nice two pilots in the cockpit of Horizon said, hey, take the jump seat. That's kind of standard. So, as the story goes, Joseph David Emerson took the jump seat. And midway into the flight from Everett, Washington to San Francisco, the police say he lunged for the switches that would turn off the engines. Now, I am not a pilot, but apparently it's the fire handles. Okay? 
Guy would know. He's a pilot. Here's what creeps me out the most. Well, there's a lot. Uh, He had certification. He had airline transport certification for an Airbus 320. That holds 180 passengers. He has airline certification for a Boeing 737. That holds 184 passengers. A Canadair regional jet, a de Havilland Dash 8. But he does not have the certification for an Embraer 175. And that is the one he was on. But my guess, not being a pilot, is that eh, they're all kind of similar. You could probably figure it out. In any case, there were 80 passengers on this Embraer and four crew members. The plane was diverted to Portland because somehow those two pilots who were actually working were able to subdue him and get him out of the cockpit. Don't ask me how, because that's my biggest question. Because when I get on a plane and that door shuts, it don't open again, right? Nobody can get in to help the pilots save themselves from a pilot. There is so much to this story I'm waiting to figure out. It is just, like I said, bonkers. But they were able to handcuff him and get him in the back of the plane. And here's what the pilot said um, when very calmly, as pilots do, uh, requested of air traffic control, could you please have someone meet the plane? Yeah, here's how he put it. Just uh, give you a heads up. We've got the uh, guy that tried to shut the engines down uh, out of the cockpit. Um, and he... Uh, doesn't sound like he's causing any issue in the back right now. I, I think he's the dude. Other than that, uh, yeah, we want law enforcement as soon as we get on the ground and park. I mean, cool as a cucumber, right? Amazing. Wish I were a fly on the wall just 20 minutes before that. In any case, Joseph David Emerson uh, has a lot of neighbors. And are you ready for this? The neighbors say he's got a wife and two young boys, that they've all had great interactions with him, kind outgoing, friendly, Karen Yee, one of his neighbors, had this to say to our San Francisco affiliate. Totally shocked, and we still can't believe it. We're still shocked. Um, Doesn't sound like Joe at all. I don't know what happened to him mentally that he would do something like that. He's always been very positive. He's very friendly. He's very upbeat. He's, um, you know, I know them through children. The children have played over here. Apparently, according to the passengers, the crew remained calm. The passengers actually thought they were just being diverted for a medical emergency. And that is where Captain Renee O'Shaughnessy comes in. She spent more than three decades as a commercial airline pilot with more than 10,000 hours on heavy jet aircraft. And she's the author of the book called, are you ready? This is your captain speaking. What you should know about your pilot's mental health. Um, Renee, thank you. Captain, thank you so much for being here. My very first question is your reaction to this story. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to the show and having this opportunity to talk about this shocking um, situation. We are just absolutely, in the aviation community, especially the pilots, uh, we are just shocked and stunned when one of our own um, has created this um this safety issue. We just don't know where to even begin. Um, as one of our own trying to shut down the engines of a commercial jet. You know, what do you say to that? But it just goes to show you that mental illness, if it really is mental illness, does not discriminate. Yeah, that's what we're still trying to figure out. What led to this? Because the authorities are saying it's not terrorism. That's the number one question with what's happening in the Middle East right now. 
And it's usually the number one question anyway. But they are saying they don't believe that world events right now led to this. So short of knowing that yet, and I think we will know that soon, your expertise is um, invaluable in telling me how could this have happened physically in that kind of an aircraft and what would those two pilots at the helm had to had to do in order to stop him and get him out of the cockpit? Like, walk me through just the physical action that must have taken place. Yes, it, you know, we don't know. We don't know, but we soon will know. And as you stated, the cockpit is very, very small. He is a jump seat rider. We have that privilege as, um, as, as crew members to ride on the jump seat of each other's aircraft to go to and from work or however we see fit. However, those two pilots that were actively flying the aircraft were able to subdue him with handcuffs, that is interesting because typically we do not have handcuffs in our cockpits. Well, maybe. I, now, I don't know that, that they cuffed him, but someone on the crew did. I only have a couple seconds left, but you, ha- you have to help me with this one. Um, I imagine sure. it takes two guys to drag someone out of a cockpit, but that leaves no one left flying the plane. It, from your expertise, would one have had to stay at the helm and the other one have been left to struggle with this guy to get him out and unlock that door? Absolutely, but we don't know if they had to drag him out. There is no proof that they had to drag him out. They might have just had said something to him like, hey, what the heck are you doing? And absolutely got him out of that trance or whatever he was in to, to do that action. But it sounds like he left very calmly out of the cockpit to the point that the that the passengers thought that he was that they were just diverting because yeah. of a medical emergency emergency situation. There was no struggling. There was no arguing. So it's going to be very interesting how these two pilots describe how they got this person out of the cockpit who just tried to shut down both of their engines on their airplane. And this is a very, very... It's shocking. It's shocking. Uh, Captain O'Shaughnessy, I'm going to have to have you back when we do get more information about what transpired because I am just flummoxed by the whole thing. Thank you for your expertise. Appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you very much for the opportunity. My pleasure indeed. And coming up, the Airbnb squatter from hell. The story that doesn't go away. Elizabeth Hershorn. Somebody got asked out on a hot date in Los Angeles. And there is video to prove that Ms. Hershorn got herself a date, despite all of this press. And while she was away, the mice were at play. A locksmith showed up in the driveway where she is packing away months and months and months and months and months of free rent. Is she finally on her way out? And who was the guy who took her out? (laughs) I've got so many questions. It's all next. America's most hated squatter is apparently liked by somebody because she was spotted out on a date in Santa Monica. That's Elizabeth Hershorn, uh, the lady who's been squatting in a mansion in L.A., the Airbnb guest who refuses to leave. Yeah, that lady. Somebody asked her out on a date. Mystery man was with her for dinner 
at a restaurant in Santa Monica. They walked together, apparently. Then he drove her in his car and gave her a smooch and drove her home. And when I say home, drove her to Sasha uh, Jovanovich's home, the mansion where she's been squatting for hundreds of days, not paying rent, just sitting there in her chair, videotaping as people look at her. So that happened, but the weird thing is, is while she was away, a locksmith showed up in the driveway and everybody went bananas, right? Is it happening? Are they locking her out of the guest house at Sasha's home? Because she won't leave and she won't pay and she's squatting and she's suing him and saying, give me a hundred thousand and maybe I'll leave, right? Turns out we've learned exclusively that the locksmith was there for Sasha's locks on his home because he fears for his safety because of date lady, Elizabeth Hershorn, America's most hated squatter. Those are the headlines, right? Um, I want to bring in the attorney for, for Sasha Jovanovich. Um, Sebastian Rucci has been a friend of the program. He's joined us a few times. I was curious to talk to you about the locksmith um, and why not change the locks when she goes out to dinner with the dinner date. There are good reasons, and I think you know most people would feel like that, that, would, that could happen. Why not just lock it up when she leaves? Why can't you? Well, we're trying to do it legally through the process of evicting her. However, that is a very interesting proposal. And then, you know, somebody that can pay the bill pays the bill. We're already being sued, so Sasha could pay the bill, hypothetically. So there's a couple of things that um, she's also accused of doing that have surfaced lately with investigative reporting um, that she, two months before this business with your client, Sasha, uh, she did something similar in Oakland. It ended with a settlement. She did it in 2002, allegedly in Venice. Again, settlement in that case, another squatting situation, complaining about a stove. She fought with American Express over a $19,000 bill. Uh, judge ordered her to pay it, plus legal fees. Uh, she tried to sue the city of L.A. over a traffic accident. Case was tossed. She sued a literary agent over a TV script. Case was tossed. I'm wondering if any of these other acts of hers are going to factor into your case. You have a hearing in 14 days. Do you think they will help you or are they irrelevant to your issue? Presently, not on, not on November 6th of the upcoming hearing, but at trial, they will be very relevant about her character. You'll be able to bring all those issues in? Yes, yes, and it, it would it would be wonderful. Actually, I would love to have you there with me. Nope. With all the stuff that you do, you're amazing. Nope. So, but yes, we I'm will just going to call in. you. I'm going to call you that day to ask for your trial strategy and for your reaction, and obviously for the result because I'm curious about that. Um, do you have a target date for when you think Elizabeth Hershorn might finally get booted out of that uh, guest house? So, so here's the process. On on the sixth, the court will, I believe, for the second time, deny her second demur. And then within five days, she answers. Within 20 days, we can set her for trial. So I think mid-December, we'll go to trial. She does not have a good track record uh, trying to go the legal route. So I'll be curious to see what happens. Sebastian Ritchie, thanks again for uh, coming on the program. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ashley. Keep us posted. All right, still to come. Last week, I showed you a video of a home invasion that might have changed how you feel about having guns in your house. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But this week, I have a brand new video that might have the exact opposite effect. A loaded gun just left on the sofa with little kids running around the living room, one of them in diapers. What are the odds a little three-year-old in diapers might just find that gun? Get there! Stop the f***ing bed! 
You would think that the adults would scramble for help immediately and call 911, given that child shot herself in the hand, and you would think wrong. Wait until you hear what they did do and what they didn't do and what is happening to those adults now. That's next. say stuff that's really hyperbolic, like, I could just kill him. I could have just killed him. You say those things all the time, right? But in this story, I'm just going to go there and say, I could have just killed this guy when I saw the video I'm about to show you. Because it's the kind of video that might have a very profound effect on how you feel about guns in the house. Last week, I showed you these home invaders who were kicking down the door of this poor guy in Washington state, and he just unleashed through the door with a gun, and they went scrambling, and we all felt pretty good about it. And that might have changed your mind on guns in the house. Maybe not. But tonight, I'm going to do a 180 on you, because there's this house in Florida um, where all these adults were milling about, and lots of kids, too. And on that sofa was a loaded handgun just sitting there. And the safety wasn't on. With a toddler in diapers, some little guy who looked to be about six years old or so, and maybe someone who was 10 or 11. Little kids. And then a bunch of grown-ups walking all over the place. If you hear disdain in my voice, yeah, it's there. Um, three little, three-year-old little girl in diapers, um, walks over to that handgun, picks it up, and shoots her own hand. And the reason I tell you that is I want, where I'm going to show you the video, and I don't want you to think you're going to see blood and, and awful things. You won't see that, but you will see how this played out. And keep your eye on the guy who's supposed to be watching over her who's looking at a laptop because there's a football game playing. Take a look. asking the little kid, what happened? That's the little kid who was holding his ears because it was so loud when the three-year-old shot. There was a disabled woman on the couch. You're not wrong for wondering why that person on the couch never moved, never flinched, nothing. 
disabled woman. Um, she, this little three-year-old with her tiny little hands, was in the care of her grandmother, apparently. And the guy who owned the gun was the one with the laptop watching the football game, 23-year-old Orlando Young. Um, this is the other grandmother calling 911 because no one in the house called 911. Nobody called 911 with a child who shot her finger. No. The grandmother from afar had to call 911. And here's the call. I don't know the address, sir. It's in the new homes right there off the Alapata, the project, the HUD homes right there off of 220th. They just let me shoot herself in the hand. I just got the call. I'm going up 220th right now, heading there now. They're trying to take the baby to the hospital themselves. I need the rescue there. I need rescue and the fire and the police. Oh, Jesus. I'm trying to get there as fast as I can, officer, to get you the address. Because they want to call, I'm going to take her to the hospital themselves. No, no. I need fire rescue there. That's who I need there. I'm almost here. I don't know why they did not. Where is... Took her to the hospital. Why did they call fire rescue? Is the baby there, ma'am? Where did this, where did she get shot? Where did she, where did she shoot herself? Yeah. Where did she shoot herself? Where did she shoot herself? Unbelievable. 23-year-old Orlando Young, arrested on charges of child neglect with great bodily harm, you think? Grandma, who you heard just there, so angry, as she should have been, uh, released a statement about that little three-year-old named Serenity, saying that they are waiting to see if her finger can be saved. More as we know it. Still to come, a burglary suspect who is really good at standing in a lineup. Hey, ask you, does anything look out of ordinary in this photo? Look closely. Show you what it is next. I gotta hand it to him, or at least give him a C for creativity. Do you notice anything strange about the mannequin there posing like a suburban dad holding a bag right next to the store window? Take a very close look. That ain't no mannequin. It is a 22-year-old thief who is just waiting for security to lock up the store without noticing him so that he can have his way with all that merch inside the store. This happened um, in Warsaw, Poland. Apparently, he was so good at this, his little trick actually worked. They say he cleaned out a jewelry stand and then he... This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.